The Pace Line gets political as we hear from a candidate who is one of us. He's a writer who is running for office. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Charles Pelkey. I'm an elite, part of an elite group known as the Very Lonely Nine. In other words, I'm a Democrat in the Wyoming House of Representatives. We also ask whether group rides are the right place to discuss political views. The pace picks up as we get ourselves more and more worked up. And so, yeah, absolutely. We talk about politics. We talk about religion. Line, the podcast on two wheels. Thanks for finding us again on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, Red Kite Prayer. We don't care. You're here, and we're happy for that. This is our final debate before the big election, so we'll do <laughs> our best to behave. It's a nonpartisan group here. We hope so, at least. Uh, the Pace Line is here because of fabulous people like Fatty, the Fat Cyclist. Hello, Fatty. Oh, it's nice to be called Fabulous. Thank you. Fabulous fatty. I think it's a new thing. <laughs> and Patrick Brady, publisher, editor-in-chief, contributor, illustrator, fundraiser at redkiteprayer.com. Patrick, how's it going with your, your new approach to uh, publishing? You know, it's been a pretty terrific result so far. You know, these things take time, but we've got such a great start to this. And I'm so grateful for the support that we've gotten from readers already. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, today's a great day. Yeah. In case you didn't know, folks, Patrick is accepting your money at redkiteprayer.com to help support, you know, the the further, uh, the, the continuance of that great website. So if you have a chance, if you have the, a PayPal account, if you have a credit card, please go over to Red Kite Prayer and, and support what has been a very fine uh, website for what now, eight or nine years now, right, Patrick? Uh, only seven. I mean, it feels oh, like seven. 10, but it's only seven. Okay. <laughs> Of course, I'm Michael Houghton, uh, also a contributor at RKP and the host of this mess we like to call the Pace Line. Guys, I see we have an awesome survey going on on both Red Kite Prayer and Fight... Uh, what am I saying? Fight Cyclist. Fight Cyclist. Fight Cyclist? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the new First thing. rule of Fight Cyclist is... Don't, oh, sorry. No, wrong one. <laughs> it's to blog about it three times a week. Right. Uh, <laughs> we have an awesome survey on your dream bike. Going on on both Red Kite Prayer and at FatCyclist.com. Yeah, I thought it might be kind of fun to have the same survey, and it actually is pointing at the exact same data set on both of our sites, uh, about a question or set of questions that I had for myself while I was away from biking last week and started, I don't know why, but when I'm away from bikes and can't ride them, I start thinking more and more about what N plus one is going to be for me. And so I just put some of those questions together and put it out, and more than 1,200 people have replied so far. So we've got some great data, and we're going to let the survey go for one more week just to see, you know, what are you people thinking about in terms of uh, dream bikes? And uh, preliminary data is pretty interesting. Uh, For example, uh, here, I'll, I'll ask you two guys and tell me if you can guess what is the most common price range for 
a, a dream bike, according to our readers. And just go ahead and give me a, a you know, between, a, uh, you know, a hundred and, and a and thousand. 10, thousand. How much between, would you say? Between five thousand and ten thousand dollars. And how about you, Hadi? Yeah, I, I would narrow it between like four and six. You nailed it exactly, Hadi. Between four and six thousand is what is more likely chosen than any other price range, which to me is surprising because I, you know, I think, you know, when you start getting into the stratospheric stuff, you know, with NV wheels and a electronic drivetrain, it's real easy to get well past six thousand mm-hmm. dollars real fast. But yeah. Um, People's dream bikes, and I think the bikes that they're dreaming about, you know, the ones that I I think people are thinking about bikes that they will someday be able to obtain. And we're seeing, you know, we're seeing a lot of interesting results. Some things I I would expect, some things I don't. We'll talk about it in, I think, the next episode or the episode after next of the Pace Line. But go to fatcyclist.com or redkiteprayer.com. Find the survey. Takes about a minute to take it. Costs you nothing. We don't collect any personal data. So there's no reason not to. Awesome dream bike, and we're all dreaming. And and your dream <laughs> may be of a of a reasonable price, and maybe that's why we're seeing <laughs> the forty six thousand well. range. You know, yeah, that's what a lot of people that's what a lot of people dream of. Uh, we're not done with surveys today either, uh, guys. We're gonna get into a little political thing coming up in our next segment, and it will involve a very small poll, a very small political survey done only here on the pace line. Uh, but first, we want to get a, to a few uh, pro-ride news. Um, and, you know, pro-riding usually centers around the Tour de France. And we have a, a, a route announcement. The, the ASO has uh, revealed the Tour de France 2017 route, which will start in Germany, Dusseldorf, a 13K TT. And that's pretty cool because Tony Martin will be in the rainbow jersey in his home country going for the yellow jersey. Uh, the route has just five true mountain stages, fewer than this year's, and there will not be more than two consecutive days of significant climbing. So guys like maybe Dan Martin will have a shot at winning the overall because the route seems to favor, you know, one of those go-for-it guys who can handle, yeah, the rolling stages, but maybe not the high mountains day in and day out. The route could also play into the hands, maybe like someone like Romain Bardet, who doesn't TT so well. There's not a lot of time trialing in this route. He lost 331 to Froome in the time trials this year, so maybe we'll get the first French champion in years. Stage 20, pretty cool. A 23-kilometer time trial that starts at the Marseille Velodrome Football Stadium. So Tour de France 2017, a little less climbing, boys. Yeah, um, neat, neat course. I mean, they do some really odd stuff. Like, you've got one day in the Chartreuse, kind of early on in the tour where they finish in Chambéry. And then they, they do um, an air transfer um, to sort of uh, sort of near uh, Bordeaux, kind of almost the opposite coast, um, finish in Bergerac. Um, but yeah, there are only two stages uh, in the Pyrenees, which is f- fairly common, fairly traditional. And then they, uh, they actually do, uh, they do one more semi-mountain stage, finishing in Le Puy-en-Velay. But then there's a rest day after that before starting uh, from Le Puy-en-Velay the next day. And then, uh, yeah, three stages in the Alps. Um, I think only two mountaintop finishes in the Alps. So it's not quite 
the climbing championships that so many editions of the tour have been. So maybe this does open it up some. Um, you know, it remains to be seen, of course, how how pivotal the time trials will be uh, in this. It, it you know, it seems a little doubtful that um, that will play very big a role. But uh, you know, I got to give it to the the uh, the the tour organizers, ASO, for coming up with yet another you know kind of interesting course. We haven't seen this before. Mm-hmm. The ASO also moving the the women's race, La Course. Uh, they're going to move it off the Champs-Élysées for 2017 and onto the Col de Wizard in the High Alps. So no stage race yet for the women in July, you know, in con- kind of in conjunction with the tour. But at least they're they're doing something, getting them off that crash-happy crit they've been on for the last three years and onto a mountaintop finish, which is pretty cool. Uh, the new world champ is the old world champ and maybe the same world champ we're going to have for a while. Peter Sagan defended his rainbow jersey in Doha, Qatar. Qatar, Doha, another word for ridiculous place to save your race. <laughs> uh, but Sagan took gold in the men's race. Uh, although much of the coverage has been dedicated to his podium mates, Mark Cavendish with the silver, Tom Boonen with the bronze. Both said it was their last chance at the rainbow jersey. Of course, for Boonen, he's retiring, so we know it's his last chance. Cav said a couple things cost him the jersey. He went left instead of right during the sprint. Cav said he'd been watching races on the Doha course all week, and the right side continually got shut down. That's why he went left. Cav also revealed that he had crashed during a training ride on the Wednesday before World, so he said he was kind of lucky he'd even be in the race. Boonen said one more Belgian leadout man would have helped his cause. Both men looked pretty dejected during the awards ceremony, where our hearts bleed for both of you guys um there are three new uci races in the u.s the tour of colorado a four-day stage race will take place in august it is different than the u.s pro challenge which could not find a sustainable sponsor Uh, two weeks after the tour of colorado there will be the commonwealth cycling classic in virginia a four-day stage race and then the third newbie on the uci calendar in the u.s is the grand prix of boise that'll be in mid-july that's also again a uci Race are pretty cool. Some more races, uh, U.S.-based races on the UCI calendar um, for 2017. And with any luck, guys, we should see disc breaks during the 2017 season. The UCI and the riders have uh, green-lighted, bringing back the tryout period for calipers and rotors on road bikes. The whole experiment came crashing to a halt when one guy, Francisco Ventoso, claimed he was slashed by a spinning rotor during Paris-Roubaix. For the 2017 season, Patrick, bikes equipped with disc brakes will have to have rotors that have rounded edges. This is probably some type of machining that's going to happen, I I figure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a couple of steps in the manufacturing process. You know, it's not really that big a deal. And I'm honestly surprised that it's taken professional roadies uh, to make it happen. Um, you know, getting cuts from rotors, you know, usually fingertips from when you're working on them. That's, that goes back quite a long way. Um, you know, and so, you know, this is something that probably needed to happen anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, I'm hopeful that this will finally take place. I am, shall we say, wary that, uh, something will throw, uh, as English like to say, a spanner in the works. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Oh. Fatty, I know we're doing we're doing the Dream Bike survey right now, and I'd imagine most Dream Bikes 
will have disc brakes. Do you ever see yourself buying another road bike that does not have disc brakes? Nope, nope, absolutely not. I have purchased my last uh, disc brakeless bike in my lifetime. I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah, yeah me too. I tend to agree. Yep, I, I, I'm on board there too. I think unless I'm in, I'm shopping for some type of vintage bike, um, something that has a cool yeah. factor that I want to hang in my garage. Um, sure. You know. But then you're purchasing um, art, not a bike, really. Exactly. Right? I, I think something I'm going to use, I, I'm, I'm convinced that the ability to stop um, and to modulate using uh, calipers and rotors is, is the way to go. All right, guys, coming up, bike trails and campaign trails. We get into Decision 2016 with a special guest and a panel discussion on the pace line. Baseline, the podcast on two wheels, fatty of fatcyclist.com, Patrick Brady, redkiteprayer.com. I'm Michael Hutton. Uh, I take it both of you are know who Steve Tilford is, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hell of a good racer in his day. It's multinational still champ. a very good racer. Yeah. Yeah, still very good. Uh, fatty, uh, he beat both of us at Leadville last year. Yeah. Won his category in the 50-plus in the last year. And and afterwards said he was disappointed <laughs> because he thought he could go faster there, even though it was his first time. Rode for the uh, Levi's team, the Wheaties teams. Um, unfortunately, Steve has been in a very bad crash, uh, a nasty one. He cracked his skull. Uh, the crash happened during a fast group ride in Topeka, Kansas. A dog ran out in front of Steve. Steve's a, a, fact, a huge dog lover, so it's a bit ironic. A dog ran out in front of him. Uh, he and another rider, in fact, Bill Stolt. Uh, and they just went flying. Bill has broken ribs. Steve is improving. Last I checked his blog site, everything looked like he was coming around. And it looks like he'll pull through this. Uh, meantime, friends of Steve Tilford, before Stephen was even conscious enough to object to what they were going to do, had been telling the world that Steve was not wearing a helmet uh, during this very fast group ride. The sprint he was involved in was over 30 miles per hour. Uh, friends updating his condition on his blog. They have asked that the helmet use or lack of a helmet not be the focus in the comment section of Steve's blog site. Of course, though, folks on social media have been commenting on this mm-hmm. about the lack of, of head protection during a 30-mile-per-hour sprint. Um, obviously, people being careful about what they say, they don't want to offend either Steve nor his family, but yet reminding folks about the importance of wearing a helmet during a fast group ride. Yeah. Yeah, truly one of those catch-22 situations. We feel for the guy. There's not right, much guys, to be said, okay? Yeah. It, it was a dumb decision, Hopefully, it's not what he does in the future, okay? Just wear a helmet. Uh, it's yeah. not a point that really needs to be debated. You know, we all have personal liberty. You know, we all have our freedom. We can all choose to do what we want. But I have strong feelings that when you're out for a group ride, 
you need to do things that are considerate of the group. And, uh, you know, you don't chop wheels, you know, you don't take your hands off the bar when you're in the middle of the group. Uh, there are some things that you don't do. And I think, you know, out of consideration for the people you ride with, you should show up for a group ride with a helmet on. So they're not busy calling your wife or whoever saying, um, yeah, can you come to the hospital? Uh, this, you know, whatever, uh, it's, it's not good. And I mean, you know, I'm somebody who's had his wife called to the hospital. I was wearing a helmet, you know, so mm -hmm. it's not a preventative, but, uh, I think the important thing is that, uh, his friends have rallied around him. Uh, I believe there's a GoFundMe or one of those sites, uh, set up to, uh, assist in his recovery. And I certainly hope that the community will rally around him. He's a, he's a great writer. You know, his blog is, is certainly informative and entertaining, and uh, I'd like to see him back at it as soon as possible. Yeah. yeah. I I took one thing perhaps a little different out of it than you did, and that is if someone like Steve, who is an outrageously great bike handler, can have a random event like a dog or a car door or something like that, send him to the ground and... <laughs> get you know get an injury like this the normal folks uh probably need to think about a bike helmet even more uh that said <laughs> yeah us lesser um, mortals yeah us, us mortals who you know don't have the lightning reflexes of a pro or x pro right um you know that said i kind of i i i once uh really in my own blog relentlessly needled a friend who had crashed on a downhill after hitting a slick section on pavement where a car I think had uh had spilled uh, or had started losing its antifreeze and that'll make a road slick I don't know if you guys know how slick that'll mm -hmm. make it but anyway he had gone down hard had lost most of his scalp and I went Ooh. on endlessly with pictures and stories about what an idiot he is um until he said hey can you please stop that? I already feel bad enough. Um, so I, I think that there is a point to, to be made about, you know, chances are he's already in, you know, in, in addition to his physical pain, he's probably already beating himself up to the degree that uh, he doesn't need anyone shaming him. Yeah. Last week, of course, we, we had a discussion about the use of helmet and a, and a study that was done out of the University of New South Wales and Australia. And that study concluded that bicycle helmets reduce the risk of head injury by 70%. And we got some comments on RKP um, at show 37, the, at the, in the comments section of show 37. From John, for instance, he said, as I write this, a cycling legend, referencing Steve, is in the hospital because he crashed and was not wearing a helmet. Uh, I have friends who would definitely be in worse shape had they had it not been for helmets, I always wear one. That said, John said he does not support helmet laws, and it has nothing to do with safety. Helmet laws discourage minorities from cycling. There's evidence that when they are enforced, enforcement is unequal and is often used as a pretext for otherwise unconstitutional warrantless seizures. Um, so obviously the helmet law and the mandatory helmet um, thing is still controversial, but I think what we're trying to emphasize here is that if you plan on going fast, that's probably a good time to, to put on the helmet. If, uh, riding along a, a, a beach bike path 
on your beach cruiser at 10 miles per hour is one thing. Th- a 30 mile an hour sprint is quite another. And especially when groups are involved, Patrick, I think you point that out great, is that when other people are involved and you've got other people around you, it's, there's no reason to put them through that type of senseless you know, stress yeah. when, they, when you're on the ground and your, your head is cracked open. So, um, We wish the best, though, for Steve. Speedy recovery, great yeah. rider. We want to see you lining it up again, and we want to see a helmet on your head. That's all we ask. That's all we ask of, well, of all of us. Healthy our first. Let's let's get the dude healthy. Yeah, yeah fully recovered. Bills paid. That's the thing. Yeah, and the rest of us, we get our, we get a, we get a lesson from Steve. I think. I think he's all he's teaching us something right now, and that that is when you go out, let's try to remember to put that thing over your nugget. It it can prevent a lot of problems. All right. You guys following this thing we call a presidential election? What? Oh, you know, on TV, they've got comedies and dramas, and now they have dramedies. I'm thinking this is a tramedy, a tragedy (laughs) and a comedy. Very good. Yeah, I can't remember anything this embarrassing on this level since Watergate, which which was a campaign incident that just came out after the effect. Now we get uh, this mess, this political mess in real time, and it is somewhat embarrassing. So it is refreshing, I think, when you come across a good guy, someone who restores a little faith in our process and politics. This election is more than about money. It's more than about the crap the pundits spout on television. It's more than even an individual candidate. It's about more than even Bernie Sanders. This election is about people, people like you standing up for what's right and standing against those who presume that they have the power without our consent to determine the future direction of this country. Well, that is the guy we are referencing, uh, one of the good guys who is in the middle of it all. And Patrick, you got to speak with him this week. Yeah, uh, Charles and I go back a fair number of years, 20-ish at this point. Um <laughs> And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a lively conversationalist and somebody I don't get to spend enough time on the phone with. And so I thought, you know, this would be a good time to check in with him. I know that a lot of readers uh, are aware, you know, thanks to uh, the explainer columns that he's done for us in the past, um, they're aware of some of his transition from cycling journalist to lawyer to politician, uh, if we can uh, call him that, it seems kind of a, a knock, um, but he seems to rise above. And so, yeah, we we wanted to get him on the phone and, and talk a little bit about how his life has changed uh, post Velo News and RKP. So, Charles, um, hey, thanks for taking time uh, to talk with us. Uh, I know you've got a pretty busy career these days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that an understatement? It is a bit of an understatement these days, yeah. <laughs> um, so for the listeners back home who may not uh, have gotten the full story in the past, you know, tell us, I mean, you were you were one of the better respected English language uh, cycling journalists out there, and then one day you decided to go to law school. And a lot of us see that as kind of a um, brain damage. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I know the story. I did have is... a traumatic brain injury a few years ago. I had a bike, a massive bike wreck. Maybe that's the manifestation of it. Then, um, 
you know, I mean, but seriously, I, I, I went to law school largely to be a better reporter. Uh, I was covering a lot of really complicated legal issues. And, um, you know, as a journalist, I, I, I recall one time applying to the Rocky Mountain News to be their legal correspondent. And uh, I got beat out by a guy who had a year in law school. And I thought, you know, I can I can do better than that. And so I applied, you know, at, at the prompting of my, my son, who was 10 at the time, I applied. Um, I didn't have an undergraduate degree, so I uh, I wasn't really confident that I was going to get in. But when I got in, um, fortunately, at the time, under the old leadership at uh, Velo, they allowed me to um, continue working for them and going to law school at the same time. So I got through law school in 2009 and then uh, skipped the July bar that year because I had some obligations with uh, the Tour de France and then uh, took February bar and then in, in 2010 got my license and then 2011 I got laid off. So fortunately I had a law degree. So. <laughs> So do I understand correctly that you have only one, uh, one degree from higher education and it's a law degree? Yeah. So you, you skipped one just to go straight to the hard bit. Uh, well, I didn't necessarily skip it. I mean, I have a lot of undergraduate hours. Sure, just sure. Never, just never formally <laughs> got the uh, degree. I got a job offer um, and started working as a journalist at uh, Wyoming's statewide newspaper and then um, and then went to Washington as a press secretary in the U.S. Senate and then took that job at Bellow News. Wow. Um, so now let's let's back up a little bit more um, in your genesis of this. I mean, you've said that, uh, at least to me and some other folks, that covering the tour in 98 uh, was part of your interest in pursuing this. Um you know, I'm I'm curious to hear a little bit more about how so. Well, I mean, the '98 tour was just complicated. You know, that was the year of the Festina scandal, and and uh, you know, obviously, I had to spend a lot of time coming up to speed on French law, which thank God I haven't had to do since. But uh, uh, you know, it's it's the '98 and then the '99 tour. Uh, you know, just sort of combined a you know, make an interest in, in some of the legal aspects of doping and, and, uh, you know, some of the, some of the more complicated things that, that we ran across, um, trying to cover those, those years. And, uh, you know, it, it worked out and I, you know, I mean, it sort of the back of my head, I always wanted to be involved in, in it at some level. And so I, um, you know, when I had the opportunity to go to law school, I just, I took it and, uh, and the rest, uh, you know, I, I made it through and managed to, uh, start a career in that area after journalism sort of petered out. So, uh, as a lawyer, I mean, what, what has been sort of the, the bread and butter of your practice? <laughs> we, we joke a lot. It's uh, murder, mayhem, and uh, marijuana. Uh, you know, we're uh, <laughs> the three we're the, <laughs> Yeah, we. You know, we do have some fairly high-profile criminal cases, including right now a 31-year-old cold case that we're defending. Um, but uh, you know, on a daily basis, uh, you know, we have the unfortunate 
situation where Wyoming has some of the country's most stringent laws. We have the only uh, regarding marijuana. Uh, we have um, Colorado, just 20 miles south of the only four-year university here, and uh, and so yeah, we do a lot of business in that area. Um, wow, yeah, it, that sounds. That sounds interesting. Well, you know, and, and it's it's the range. You know, we've had, you know, 18-year-old kids popped for uh, having a pipe with, re- uh, you know, residue on it. And then we've <clears throat> we had a case in federal courts that involved 268 pounds of marijuana that was being transported across the state on Interstate 80. Wow. <laughs> okay, wow. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Um and somehow, dude, that wasn't enough for you, and you decided uh, – I mean, you're, you're one of the only two Democrats I know in the state of Wyoming. You know, you, <laughs> well, I know – yeah, no, I, I know – I actually do know a third. So you are 33% of all of the Democrats that I know in the state of Wyoming. Yeah, but how many people do you know from Wyoming? There aren't that many of us anyway. I mean, there's only <laughs> half a million people in the state the size of Colorado. Uh, there are nine of us in the in the state House of Representatives that are Democrats out of 60, and there are four in the uh, state Senate. Um, so we are a very small minority, and one of the reasons I wanted to run is just to try and tip the scales a little bit in the in the right direction i mean you need to have balance in in the state legislature you know i'd be just Mm -hmm. as uncomfortable if we had 51 democrats and nine republicans um but uh though we'd probably get a lot better stuff done Uh, (laughs) but we uh you know it's it's a it's a tough environment um but you know we'll see uh the um you know the elections coming up um in less than four weeks, and we stand a chance of at least gaining a few more seats, probably not to tip us into the majority, but, uh, you know, it's... Uh, to your point of balance. Yeah, I'd like to get a little bit of balance, so, you know, we'll see. You know, the 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 remaining 51 Republicans in the House are, you know, they, they spread across the full spectrum, so, you know, I mean, they're libertarians in there that support decriminalization but are economically very conservative and i'm i tend to be you know fiscally pretty cautious if not conservative and then you know on social issues um we get support from all kinds of different it's 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 kind of an interesting experience but you know we do work with the other party quite well of course we couldn't accomplish anything if we didn't right right and i think that's you know one of the more interesting lessons of you know uh the our greater po- political reality of the last few years is that you know look if we're going to get anything done there needs to be cooperation you know even if you don't always agree with the other side on some stuff um i'd certainly like to see a greater evolution back to the days of you know ted kennedy and those guys who really could get things done um you know they accomplished a lot we didn't agree with yeah. everything they did but they did accomplish something yeah, I mean, you know, my old boss, Alan Simpson, um, uh, used to work very closely with Senator Kennedy. Unfortunately, that environment's changed at the national level, but we still have um, we still have a degree of cooperation. I think at the state level, 
and uh, so far it's been it's been pretty interesting. Um, now, but, one thing yeah. I'm one thing I'm curious about is you know there at least for me, uh, advocacy and advocacy issues have been much more on my radar than they have been previously, partly due uh, to the work of, of, you know, uh, the STC and, you know, certainly IMBA's efforts and uh, people for bikes. Um, and so, you know, land access has, is becoming more of an issue. I'm wondering, you know, in your position, you know, what are you seeing that, you know, could either go, you know, beneficially for cyclists or, or might go the other way? Or are you seeing anything at all? Well, in in Wyoming, it, you know, the advocacy for cycling is, is pretty pretty small on their list or pretty low on their list of priorities. We did get a three-foot passing rule passed a couple of years ago. We did get um, – we have a task force on, on – um, trying to improve access uh, both uh, on on roads and and on and off road, um, but you know it's not it's not one of the huge legislative priorities uh, in in the Wyoming State House right now. Um, the um, there are advocate groups and and certainly we've worked pretty closely with them. Uh, during during legislative sessions, our legislative sessions tend to be kind of compact and accelerated. Uh, general session is only six weeks, and then the the following year, the budget session is only four weeks. So, we try to get a lot done um, in that. Otherwise, we work through interim committees, um, and most of that would fall under travel, recreation, and wildlife. And I'm not on that one, but I do have some friends who are working on that. Very cool. So in terms of, you know, what you're active in uh, when you get to the state house, you know, what, what sorts of things have you been uh, working to accomplish? Uh, I've worked on, well, my primary goal is, well, there are two primary goals. One is to preserve access to public lands. That's uh, under assault in a lot of states in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, Nevada, Utah, Idaho, and Wyoming are uh, sort of at the, the point where there, you know, there are several people trying to take federal land and put it under state control. My fear, of course, is that it would uh, uh, limit access and may ultimately lead to the privatization of those lands. Yeah, so we're not, um, you know, so we're we're definitely fighting that. Uh, the other thing is to preserve uh, our investment in education. We have a lot of money uh, that the state has spent on on quality education, and now we're starting to cut away at that. And I think the long-term cost will be much greater than our short-term savings. Mm-hmm. Wow! So it's a big it's a big deal for me is um, working to preserve education funding at a at an adequate level to maintain the quality that we have. Boy, yeah. I mean, that would really um, that would erode the intelligence of the electorate uh, quite a bit if you lost that. Well, it, that. And, you know, I mean, it, it would, but, you know, there's also another side to it, too, and that is, you know, we, our, our state revenue is largely dependent on, on um, mineral taxes from uh, coal, oil, and gas. Uh, that's been declining lately. And um, so, 
you know, people are talking about economic diversification. Well, if you, you know, if you want to attract new businesses to an area, one of the first things that new families look at is the quality of the schools that they come to. Sure. And, uh, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to attract new businesses if we start chipping away at the quality of the schools that we have. Back to cycling a little bit. Um, how was your summer? Did you get to ride much? You were certainly talking no. about bikes a lot in the morning. Yeah, no, I didn't get a chance at all. I mean, it was—it's been—it's really bad. I haven't haven't been able to ride as much as I, I want. Hopefully, I can get out and start doing some stuff a little bit more frequently. <clears throat> Very cool. Well, uh, I certainly wish you that. Uh, but it's practically winter now, given that it's mid-October, right? Yeah, it's it's not bad today. It's like, <laughs> 50-some degrees or something like that, which for oh. you is the middle of winter, but, you know, for us, that's still pretty reasonable. Actually, I, I think we're not much warmer than you are right now. Last yeah. I looked, it was 54 here. So, um, no, I, I could do that. So I could actually yeah. be in Wyoming for another couple of weeks before I'd need to run away. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know you know what I said last year when I went to Iceland about the, you know, in, in late November, early December, I said, you know, you're from Wyoming when you go to Iceland and talk about the weather back home and the natives go, whoa, that sounds awful. Again, that was uh, Charles Pelkey, a.k.a. the update guy, Democrat from Wyoming. He's running for the uh, state house. Uh, Patrick, a, a guy who seemingly has done quite a bit in life, a lawyer, cycling journalist, uh, and, and now is giving himself to, to public office, to public life. A pretty cool dude all around. He's truly one of the people I best respect on this planet. Uh, good writer, good writer and writer, I yeah. should say, as well. Uh, and we wish him a lot, a lot of luck in this campaign season. It's a tough business, this, this campaign stuff, this political stuff. And that's why, guys, maybe the, the pace line is steered away from partisan politics, but... But the noise coming from the road to the White House has been really hard to ignore. I mean, no matter how loud you crank the pace line, it seems there's this bleed through from those two people called Hillary and Donald and all the pundits. It just makes it hard to even think straight these days <laughs> or ride straight for that matter. So let's do a little uh, small sample survey here. We'll call it the pace line poll, the ride to the White House. So here's the question. Uh, on the bike, when you're on a ride with friends, do you engage in political discussion or is the ride like a, a, a political safe zone? What do you think, Patrick? W what's your preference there when you're on a ride with friends? I try not to bring it up. If someone else does, I'm, I'm willing to engage the conversation. Um, but I've had a few conversations of uh shall we say more delicate topics get wildly left uh or or right however you want to put it go go wildly uh awry in a hurry and so i i really do try to avoid those uh more delicate topics um but you know if it comes up um i i don't immediately uh, betray what I think, except in uh, instances of, uh, shall we say, just incredulousness or, or things that, you know, any any reasonable person ought not to uh, in, uh, endorse, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, 
conspiracies that, you know, uh, our current president is a Muslim trying to bring about the downfall of all of Western civilization. I laugh at that, and I'm willing to yeah. laugh at that publicly. Things like that. I guess, Fatty, the, the bike is, you know, and bike rides are supposed to be a getaway from, from the mess and the noise. So uh, what, what's your approach on this? If somebody mentions the campaign or politics or a, a local race or an issue, how do you approach it? Well, I guess you could say that my personal life has reflected how I have treated politics in my blog for almost 12 years now. I've never endorsed a candidate. I've never had a substantive conversation or post about a candidate. Um, And up until recently, I've never, in Twitter or Facebook, the other social media I am active in, have talked about politics either. I've changed a little bit this year, however, and I have posted in Twitter and Facebook my pretty strong feelings, uh, which are essentially anti-Trump. I'm, I, 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 like a lot of people, I'm not super. I'm not a super fan of of Clinton, but Trump has uh, so. Uh, I don't know. So awful. I, you know, I, I think you just explained it. Yeah, that was perfect. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I have quite a way with words, <laughs> but no adjective needed. Yeah, I, I just that I have started doing that, and actually was talking with my wife yesterday, saying I think that it might be time for me to go ahead and endorse a candidate for the first time in my blog. So who knows? By the time really? this is posted, I may have a why I am voting for Evan McMullen. No, just kidding. Um, a, <laughs> although in Utah, he may well he may well win. Um, yeah. So, and that was not exactly an answer to your question. The question you had was, "Do I talk with politics when riding with friends?" And the answer to that is all the time. <laughs> I, really? Oh yeah. I I go there all the time. I love digging into that. However, there's probably a self-sorting aspect to that. My friends um, tend to be of the same political alignment as I am. And so Uh we tend to sort of rile each other up and, you know, the pace picks up as we get ourselves more and more worked up. And so, yeah, absolutely. We talk about politics. We talk about religion. We talk about all the Things that most people say, you know, friends shouldn't talk about. It's we we do all that and tend to sort of reinforce each other. We are the we should have a special team jersey called Team Confirmation Bias or something. I don't know. So, so you don't have rides. You almost have like a caucus on wheels. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a good way okay. of putting it. So, if you guys were to guess, would you say? People who ride bikes in general, and this is a huge stereotype, lean to the left or the right. I'm I'm not willing to go there. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's not that I have a belief, and I'm not willing to betray it. It's that I no longer have a belief that way. I used to think that cycling was um, fairly left leaning, and I've learned uh, over the last six months or so that it. Uh, uh, it's much more diverse if you stop, shut up, listen to people, and pay attention. I'm actually working on a piece uh, for another publisher right now about this. And I've been su- surprised in some of the things I've been able to turn up. And I think it's uh, the, the lesson for me is that it's a great opportunity to learn a lesson about 
uh, people of diverse beliefs coming together for a greater good. Yeah. Um, I took the liberty here of maybe breaking it down by bicycle. What if we painted bikes? And and I think it would kind of look like this. Like mountain bikes would probably be blue. I'm just guessing here. But overall, I would guess blue. High-end road bikes, red. Fixies, green. Cross-adventure racers would be tan or politically neutral. So that's kind of how I see maybe the political landscape as far as Rides and riders are concerned. Wow! See, I would have um, I would have gone in a much different direction than than you on that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I see. Uh, I see uh, cyclists on the road as people who are way more left brain and therefore toward the right end of the spectrum, and people on mountain bikes as more right brain and therefore toward the left end of the spectrum. Okay. We can, we can uh, include that in, in the discussion here. We also put this question out, or the question of politics and riding, out to uh, some of the Paceline listeners, and the results are in. There were two people that responded. So. <laughs> it's a small sample. It's a scientific David, sample. Uh, yeah, David said he has no problem politely discussing politics while rolling along, except uh, that he has never found it practical to have a real conversation while riding, because... Probably going too hard and can't really hold a discussion. Talking requires too much shouting into the wind and distracts from the ride itself. Get that? Cool. Doug, group rides are, for him anyway, a political-free zone. I don't remember anyone else discussing such on our rides either. Like-minded people, I guess. Okay. Well, we want to thank everyone for playing along in uh, Decision 2016 on the Pace Line. Appreciate that. Coming up, uh, an incredible collection of bikes up for auction. And, of course, our Paceline picks next on, what else? The Paceline. He said, you know, the cool thing about being a Democrat in the uh, Wyoming Senate is that we can hold our caucuses in a booth at Burger King. Hey, Conan O'Brien here. You know, in addition to being a hilarious comedian and a brilliant actor, Robin Williams had many interests, including cycling. I will never forget, uh, it was during a kind of a low moment in my life, the phone rang and it was Robin. And he was calling to tell me that he wanted to give me a brand new Colnago bike with electronic shifters. He was very excited about the electronic shifters and said, you gotta try them. And he tried to make it Irish by having it painted all sorts of embarrassing green colors. It was a brilliant and generous and funny gesture from an amazing guy. The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Fatty of FatCyclist.com, Patrick of RedKitePrayer.com. I'm Michael Houghton. That was Conan O'Brien. Um, Conan speaking on behalf of Robin Williams and his fabulous bike collection because the family of Robin Williams has put the actor-comedian's bike collection up for auction with proceeds going to the Challenge Athletes Foundation and the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Patrick, you've had a look at the collection and have posted something on RKP. Pretty apparent that Mork from Ork was nuts about bikes. Yeah. Wow. Um, I didn't expect this. I, um, yeah, I that he was a cyclist meant a lot to me. Um, 
he's somebody who's been something of a beacon for me in my life because uh, the overwhelming message of of his work was that you know it's okay to be a freak, and uh, I actually had a chance to meet him once briefly uh, back in 2003. Gave him a copy of the magazine I was publishing at the time, um, and he was he was just beyond nice um, and completely down to earth in that moment. Um, going through the collection, there are so many amazing bikes, so many different bikes. Um, you know, this is somebody who just, who, who liked bikes, you know, as a concept, as just a thing. And, um, you know, the amazing part of this, uh, this auction is that it's going to raise an incredible amount of money, uh, for these charities. I have a friend who works for the Challenge Athletes Foundation, and so I know they're going to benefit big time. I was just overlooking the auction and, uh, the Colnago, uh, La Carrera Fixie is up to $28,000. Um, and we don't have long, uh, left to go on the auction, but man, um, just, just about everything is up above $2,000, at least lots of stuff in the six, seven, eight thousand dollar range. Yeah, a, a really cool collection. Uh, the one that I, I caught my eye was a Mozzie, the three V M A three N C C P. That's a Russian team limited edition bike. It was a bike that throughout the late eighties and nineties, Mozzie regularly built for the Soviet Union national cycling team. Yeah, uh, their bikes were notably used by the team at the eighty eight Seoul Olympics and the Tour du Pont. Um, it's an amazing looking bike and something that, you know, gives you that old cold, that old cold war era feeling. So only, I think a hundred of the limited edition series, uh, were made and, uh, pretty amazing bike. What is three V volumetrica oversized tubing, Patrick? Is that something special? uh, Yeah. The, the trivolumetrica. So these were, uh, an unusual lug. So you, you took a, um, a straight cut tube and plugged it into, uh, these, these lugs. So there was a a funny little lip, um, several centimeters out from the actual junction. So rather than the tube fitting inside the lug and then brazing it and you seeing these fancy points, there was just a, a blunt ring at the end of the lug, uh, that these plugged into. And it was, the idea was that it was going to be a little bit lighter and a little bit stiffer. And, uh, I had a chance to ride one back in the 90s, and it was a very impressive bike. And I remember when uh, Bicycle Guide was coming uh, to an end, uh, the three of us who were the editors got together one day uh, over lunch and talked about the bikes that we had uh, ridden during our years there and which ones we sort of regret having sent back. And I remember Joe Lindsay uh, saying that the 3V that he had reviewed uh, was one bike he kind of wished he'd held on to. Mm-hmm. There's just one mountain bike in the collection, an Outland VPP, and there's also one unicycle. So no, there, there's, to, there are actually a few mountain bikes in there. Yeah. Oh, I only saw yeah. one in the picture the gallery I looked at, so maybe I, I uh, missed one or two of them in there. Um, go to redkiteprayer.com if you want to see a write-up on the collection, and there's a link there to, to the auction itself, so you can get a look at all the bikes in Robin's collection. At least all the bikes they have up for, for auction from... Robin Williams. And again, the money's going to a good place. It's going to the Challenge Athletes Foundation, which Fatty, you and I see up at the Leadville every mm-hmm. year. And then the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, which I believe that money would probably go to spinal research of some sort. Yeah. Um, so two excellent causes 
uh, out of the Robin Williams bike collection. Very cool stuff. Okay, time for our soft pedaling segment, the junk miles of this podcast, where we wander the internet and find stuff we like. Uh, we call it Paceline Picks. And to start us off, here is Fatty. What do you have, Fatty? Well, mine, I am afraid, is not on the internet. It is in the real world. And I think that makes it all the better. My Paceline Pick is fresh single track close to home. Specifically, the new Mercer Hollow Trail in Corner Canyon, which is about a mile from my front door. It is fantastic, it is wonderful, and it is created through cooperation with the Corner Canyon Trails Foundation and the city of Draper, Utah, which must be the most clear-sighted, forward-thinking city in the entire United States because for the last five years, they have put in miles and miles of new single track every single year. And it's just wonderful. And it's made Draper, which has never really been well known to anyone, become sort of the locus of cycling and equestrians and hikers in the entire Salt Lake and Utah County area. We all love this place now. So Mm -hmm. new single track by a city that is doing all the right things for incredibly great reasons. That's my pace line pick. I love your approach, Fatty. You're not afraid to publish something that's probably going to become sacred to you and the users around there. A lot of people are very protective of their single track. They don't want to promote. They're afraid other people might show up and use it as well. So thanks for sharing. Come on over and ride. That's what I say. Okay. Patrick, what do you have bookmarked for us? Well, uh, there's been a lot of talk on social media about the exploitation of Red Bull uh, with athletes at the Red Bull Rampage. And rather than encourage people to go check out some pretty incredible writing, um, something that Red Bull is doing that I think is right, uh, the new Danny McCaskill video, We Day Out. Go watch that. It's playful. It's fun. Um, he's such a delightful guy. And uh, when you get to see the outtakes and see just how crazily hard some of that stuff is, um, his skills at being able to get out of a bad situation and not end up with a broken ankle or something else, um, it's it's good stuff. This is something that Red Bull is doing that I do support. Cool. Uh, look for a link to that video in the uh, comments or right above the comment section for show uh, 38 here on the Pace Line on Red Kite Prayer, of course. Uh, mine, uh, my paceline pick asked the question, what do high-end handbags, champagne, cognac, and one of the most notable Italian bike brands have in common? How about this partnership? Louis Vuitton, Moet, Hennessy, and Pinarello. The LVMH group is in talks to buy Pinarello. So I can see this bike now, guys. A Pinarello frame with a leather saddle and bar tape by Louis Vuitton and a bottle of Moet in one cage, and a Hennessy in the other. Now, that's a dream bike, or a drunk bike, or something <laughs> like that. i, I got to confess that I'm just so afraid that this is going to get so sideways, and something is going to happen to the great Pinarello brand. I'm, <laughs> I'm holding my breath. I truly am. I hope this goes well, but I has the mad fears. <laughs> yeah, and this is a serious story. Actually, oh, serious, but it is an actual story, folks, in that... Uh, the LVMH group is in talks to buy Pinarello, and I guess they were attracted to the brand itself after you know Sky's success on uh, riding that bike in the tour and what have you. So uh, they do want to bring it into their 
their high-end uh, partnership there. Cognac and champagne and handbags. A very interesting mix. All right. Uh, let's wrap it up, guys. Fatty, fatcyclist.com. What are the happenings on your fine site? Well, I've been talking a little bit about supporting the things you love, which includes uh, what I just mentioned in my Paceline pick, uh, Trail Foundations. Uh, if there is a uh, if there's a foundation or a trail system near you, support it by either uh, getting out a shovel or chipping in a few bucks. Uh, same thing goes with other things that you support. Uh, Camp Kesem, I'm doing the 100 miles of nowhere. Last day to register is this Friday, so... Get on board. Okay, Patrick Brady, I think you might be packing your bags for another adventure. <laughs> yeah, um, I, uh, <laughs> I've i got to pack um, a suitcase and a bike today, uh, amongst Ooh. all the other things I need to get done. I'm heading off to Europe, where I'm going to do a cruise around Corsica. I will be Ooh. on a trip from Santana Adventures, and uh, we will pull into a port in the morning, go off for a ride, ride to a different port, and uh, the cruise ship will be waiting for us there. I get to do uh, a number of point-to-point rides and never have to pack my suitcase once I'm there. I smell a travel piece coming. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Okay. Of course, at both fatcyclist.com and redkiteprayer.com, you can find our uh, dream bike survey. Please fill that out. Uh, get involved. We'd love to hear your you know, your input, your comments, your thoughts on just what it is you'd really love to ride. Uh, go to redkiteprayer.com to get more on this podcast. Show notes and links will be there. Uh, leave a word or two in that comment section. We love those. And sometimes we read them back on the Pace Line. Pace Line can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music. And then follow the show on Twitter at Paceline podcast that is it guys we're done go for a ride be nice to each other and be safe don't forget to vote too we'll talk to you next time so my microphone was good the whole time eh yep no problems this time and my adobe audition stood up the whole way too (laughs) yay yeah it's a podcast miracle (laughs) 